Jesus, on the night before the cross, he prays these words. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given to me because you so loved me before the foundation of the world. A righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In John chapter 17, in those dark hours, Literally and figuratively, physical darkness and spiritual darkness. In those dark hours on the evening, the night before the cross. In John chapter 17, Jesus, he prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples then. Those who are with him in that moment. Those who are followers of his. And then in the final part of the prayer, verses 20 to 26 of John 17. He prays for us. And his prayer, his prayer, it's, it's one of oneness. His prayer is one of unity. And his prayer is one of love for those who would follow him. Father, my prayer, Jesus says, is that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Two questions that are being asked in the small groups guides today, in the study guides that you'll participate with, those of you who are a part of small groups. One question is, why is unity, unity such an important component to faith? Why is unity 
such an important com component to faith. And then secondly, a second question, what role does our unity play in reaching non-believers? Now, I'm not going to answer those questions. Those questions are for you to answer later on in your small groups. But our Lord, in these precious moments, prior to His, these precious moments with His closest followers, prior to His arrest, as a matter of fact, if you look at the, look at the very next verse, in verse 1 of John chapter 18, John, who was there, remember, John writes, when, when Jesus had finished praying, He left His disciples, <clears throat> he, crossed, he left with His disciples, He crossed the Kidron Valley, then he went to an olive grove that they were familiar with. And there he was betrayed by Judas. In these moments before the cross, Jesus, he prays, Father, I pray that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Think about the Father's love for the Son. And then think about that love being made manifest through us. Loving God, loving others is what we've been focused upon for six weeks now. These two greatest commands. There are no commands greater than these. Love God. Love others. C.S. Lewis writes this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. And we look to the gospel of Jesus, we look to what God accomplishes through Christ, we consider the life of Jesus. Even as I read earlier from John chapter 17, think about those moments leading up to Jesus accomplishing all that God had set out to accomplish there on the cross. What God set into motion and sought to accomplish since before creation was created culminating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, I would say that this, to love at all is to be vulnerable, is revealed to us no more clearly than in the vulnerability of God who chooses and is willing to die on our behalf. This is revealed no more clearly to humanity than through the gospel of Jesus. As Bob shared earlier, for God so loved. The gospel of Jesus is prompted by the divine love of God. God sends His Son to die for the sins of the whole world. The gospel of Jesus is prompted by the divine love of God, our God, the one true, only living God, our God who is love. And yet even though, even though God has done all that he has done, and even though God offers all that he offers to make everything right that we've made wrong, the gospel of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, even though the gospel 
shouts from the rooftops that we who are lost can be found. And only saved through Christ, because we can only be saved through Christ. We can only come to a right relationship with the Almighty God of heaven and earth through Christ. Our God still gives us the ability, the capacity, the choice. To either choose him or to reject him. We as human beings, but as beings who are created in the very image of God, we still have the capacity to, after considering the totality of what God offers through Jesus, we're still given the ability to go, ah, it's not for me. Do we know, each and every one of us, that we are in need of salvation? And do we know that that salvation is only, only, only found in being in a right relationship with God? The gospel of Christ is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The, the, the gospel is, is God chooses to redeem humanity through the sacrifice of Jesus and through the resurrection of Jesus. As God breathes life into, into Jesus and as he steps forth out of that tomb alive, as our Lord had lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and then dies a sacrificial death, and as God breathes life into Christ when we submit to the gospel of Christ God breathes life into us he continually breathes life into us if we're in a right relationship with God we come to be in a right relationship with God by by believing that Jesus is his son not only believing God to be true but by believing in his son by repenting and turning away from sin and a way of life that would be contrary to God, by confessing, by confessing Jesus is God's Son, by being immersed, by being baptized into Christ, and immersed into a radically different way of life. As we're baptized, our sins are washed away. Think of the imagery. Only God could come up with this. Both death and healing in the same moment and resurrection and healing in the same moment and also living a life that's characterized by the spirit of god once resurrected living a life of repentance these are these are truths right these are truths that the bible upholds these are truths that truths that that the Bible upholds and truths that we uphold. I mean, when you think about it, there are, there are many variables in choosing where you worship. But a commitment to the truth of God and, co and commitment to the Word of God 
those two commitments have got to be at the top of that list. Of all the reasons why, why we each choose to worship at the Eastridge Church of Christ, at the top of that list must be that this is a church that upholds the truth of God and the truth of His Word. Now let me build upon this sort of premise and idea and, and this sort of approach to who God is and what God has done. And turn your attention towards something that the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. Just two verses here. Paul writes, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united, how? Encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge now look at the words that the apostle paul uses here encouraged in in heart united in in love united in loving god and loving others encouraged in heart united in love and then these three goals understanding wisdom and knowledge all of which go hand in hand last week we talked about last week we talked about the great commission Go into all the world. Make disciples. How do we make disciples? By, by baptizing and by teaching. We are disciples who make disciples. We make disciples by going and by baptizing and by teaching. And if you recall, what we talked about is that when loving God and when loving others, when those two commands, when they line up, the word is go. And the field, I said last week that the field that is ripe with harvest is the one that you're standing in. The field that is ripe with harvest is the one that each of us are planted in. The problem is not that the harvest isn't plentiful. The problem is that the workers are too often too few. What the Great Commission communicates to us is that you cannot truly love God and love others without engaging the world. But what I want to communicate this week is that we also, we cannot love God and others to the extent that God has called us to without first engaging the truth of God. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God. Jesus is the way and He is the truth and He is the life. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God and the truth of His Word. The truth of God and the truth of His Word. Folks, if, if it's in God's Word, it's got to be important to us. We've got to take it seriously. Loving God means being a student of Scripture. And I don't mean in some sort of sense of, of this is like some sort of big science fair project that you're trying to get an A on. But loving God means being a student of Scripture by continually being fed by God's Word because you know that God's Word is the Word of life. 
and asking for God's people, well, well how, might it, how might it be if you weren't to be a person of the Word, a person of Scripture? For that, our response to be like, that's like asking me, how do you, not, how do you live life without breathing? How do, you, how do you sustain yourself without eating? For us to be continually fed by God's word because we know that his word is the word of life. Loving God means being faithful to his word. I want to follow that by saying that loving God also means being faithful in worship. It might perhaps be that you're not as consistent as the Lord desires or as the Lord requires in gathering together with his people in worship. We, um, when we look to, whenever I look to our, our database here at, at Eastridge, we really kind of have four different categories of, of folks here. We have, we have one category of folks, and you are here every time the doors are open. We have folks that are here every Sunday. We also have a second category, and they're kind of every other week folks, we also have a third category of maybe every three or four weeks. Folks who are a part of this church family, and yet as far as consistency, maybe every three or four weeks. We also have this fourth category of those that don't fill out the attendance cards, and so we don't, you fly under the radar. <laughs> but love, a part of loving God is being consistent in worshiping Him, choosing because it's required of God. And because we want to engage in communion with Him and communion with one another. And gathering together on the first day of the week for worship. That's a part of loving God. And a part of loving God as well is when you worship, being, being engaged. When we gather together to, to worship, being plugged in are you reverent are you engaged are you plugged in are you, are you aware are we aware of what we're doing whenever we gather together in this sacred space and worship our father here in this place or have you sent 20 text messages since you walked in here this morning To be aware of what we're doing, what we're about, as we gather here in this sacred space. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God. My purpose, the apostle writes, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you recall, we looked a couple of weeks ago at love as patient, love as kind, love as not envious, and so on, in the middle portion of that text out of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But the chapter begins with the apostle leading with this, and now, let me show you the most excellent way. 
And he begins in verse 1 of chapter 13 by writing, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I'm just annoying those around me. It's a translation according to Jason here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, Paul bringing to mind the words of Jesus. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love. I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, and at the time of Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers, Christians were being burned because of their faith. And so as he's writing this, I mean, that's what he's putting in front of them. If I do that, but have not love, I gain nothing. The prophets will say, if you do not love your neighbor, if you don't love the alien, if you do not love the orphan, if you do not love the widow, then do not come at God with sacrifice and worship as if He wants it from you. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God. The truth of God's Word. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, even if you recall it, it concludes with these three remain, these three abide. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. What abides is love. Faith and hope are paramount. Don't mishear me. Faith and faithfulness and fidelity to God, the hope that we have in eternity, the hope that God gives us today, faith and hope paramount. But nothing without love. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God and the truth of His holy word. And sometimes, Sometimes what this means is having hard conversations with others. Because you truly, you cannot leave others where they are. In their sin. And truly love them at the same time. You just can't do it. You see, the greatest commands mean nothing without the Great Commission. And loving others sometimes means having hard conversations. I want you to think in your mind, do, do you know someone maybe who does not have a church family? Do you know someone that doesn't have a church family? Loving them means, means going out of your way to engage in conversation with them and invite them to worship. Do you know someone who, who believes, but maybe their theology, maybe their practice is not in line with God? 
loving them. Loving them means fostering a rapport so that you might speak truth into their lives. Do you know someone who's never been baptized into Christ? Loving them means having the hard conversation and engaging in that conversation. What about someone that you know and love who isn't being faithful to God in some way, some area of their life? Loving them, loving them entails being intentional in what you do and what you say and having the hard conversation. Is there someone that you need to make amends with? Someone that you've wronged? Loving God and loving others requires that you do what you can in order to foster and bring healing into their life or into that brokenness. Loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others means, means signing up for one of those 64 slots at that table that's set up out in the foyer for the Feed My Starving program event that's going to take place later on, later on this month. Right? I mean, in a, with an audience this size, there's 64 spots. This is first service. This is the first time that we've put this in front of you. There should not be the opportunity for someone to fill a spot coming in for second service. There just shouldn't. I wonder... I wonder what loving God and loving others might require of you. Because loving God and loving others engages the truth of God and the truth of His Holy Word. Once more, this text from Colossians 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Loving God and loving others engages the truth of God, and sometimes what's required is sacrifice. Doing the difficult thing. Doing the difficult thing, but also doing the godly thing. The holy thing. The right thing. And we're going to pick up with this. We're going to pick up where, we, where we're leaving off today, next Sunday, as we come back together as a church, as a church family. But before we put it down, we want to, we want to offer a time to be able to let this sort of these, these truths to, to sink in and for there to be a, a, a response that elicit, is elicited within us. I mean, that's just a decision that needs to be made or, or an acknowledgement of, of how this might get lived out. Or it might be that in a conversation or in a, in a direction pointing toward what God offers through Jesus. You're here this morning and you recognize that you're not in a right relationship with Him. If you need to, to declare publicly that you've been out of step with God and this church family could pray over you, it would be our honor. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. You've never given your life to God through Jesus by being baptized into Christ. My hope, my prayer, is that you would have the courage to walk the aisle this morning. Come forward. I'll meet you as you do. As we stand, and as Adam leads us in song.